You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Keth episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And if you are feeling generous, you can support us uh, with your money. Um, at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where if you pledge a minimum of one dollar per month you get access to an exclusive rss feed with content recorded specifically for patreon supporters we just recorded episode 74 i think or 75 of that patreon feed and uh yeah if you get pledge a dollar you get access to all of them so Check that out, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And uh, yeah, so I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, in the flesh this time, yes, is Tiny. How's it going, Tiny? Good, buddy. Sweet. Uh, so we're um, not social distancing, which I feel weird about that. Like, it's premature, I think. I but mean, to an extent. Yeah. You can still gather in social distance. That's true. We're not... We, we're not Recording in front of a group of more than ten people, right? Um, we're uh, to throw someone who will never listen to this under the bus. Um, <laughs> my sister uh, apparently uh, invited a bunch of people over to the pool that she is uh, at, at the apartment complex that she's in. Ah, so just a big bunch of people in a pool, kids. Oh boy, yeah. Which I was astonished that they even opened the pool. Um, yeah. It's an apartment complex. My my apartment complex, they have a sign up that says that pool isn't going to be open until, like, July 4th. Oh, wow. So, yeah. But I've you have, lived, have you been in there? Your apartment complex? I've pool? lived here for five years, and uh-huh. not once have I been to the pool. Oh, wow. Yeah. I might I might break that streak this uh, this this year. Yeah. I couldn't um, stay away. I'm a pool junkie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. New podcast? God. No. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so uh, all that aside, um, yeah, how, how's it going and everything? How do you feel good. about the Patreon recording? Oh, I liked it. It was fun. Nice. Yep. Yeah. So again, find that at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So Tiny, today on the podcast, do you mind if I tell our listeners what we will be doing? Please do. Okay, so today on the podcast, we will be covering season two, episodes four through six of Hulu's Castle Rock, based on the stories of Stephen King. Um, so we're finally resuming our review series of Castle Rock. It's been about a month, but we have been releasing content across obsessive viewers' empire. Um throughout it and behind the scenes we have been recording our um series of episodes for tower junkies regarding the stand Mm -hmm. reviewing the stand so those as soon as we find out a release date we i'll have a better idea of when i can start pumping out those episodes so um thank you guys for hanging tight while we kind of wrestle with our um uh, consistency here, but we're about to get a hell of a lot more consistent. Um, <laughs> hopefully. So anyway, 
Before we get to our reviews of Castle Rock, I do have some news to spring on you, Tiny, about uh, Stephen King. And do you have any check-ins? Uh, I do have a check-in. Ooh, I sweet. listened to Revival. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's do Stephen King check-ins first. Okay. Um, so you listened to Revival. Um, I did. I re-listened to it, too, for a future episode, mm-hmm. um, which we need to figure out when we're going to record that, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, how'd you feel about Revival? I really dug it. Um, nice. I, I was really into it. Uh, it may even be a top 19. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really into it. I, I just... Um, I think it had some kind of... I don't want to say standard King kind of tropes mm-hmm. in characters, but um, I guess that's the best way to put it, though. Um, like, the main character... A bit of an everyman, yeah, in a way. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it wasn't you know like a it wasn't like a like a horror type move like a story per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it had a like the expanse of time was really interesting because you got to sit with the characters for so long. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah, just really obvious. You know, like he is wont to do, great character work. Mm-hmm. That really just drove it drove it all the way to the end. Um, yeah. I, I really dug it a lot. Sweet. And we'll be reviewing it fairly soon, I think. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about it because I really liked it the second time around. Okay. Um, the first time around, I, I thought it was pretty okay, but the ending really kind of blew me away this time around. So yeah, I'm nice. looking forward to chatting with you about it. Sweet. Um, yeah, and also on the Tower Junkies uh, Twitter feed, I posted, like, I asked, like, hey, what's everyone's opinion about Revival? So go track down that. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. So um, we're going to record that probably in a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, uh, go find that tweet or click that tweet and, like, respond to it and let us know because I'm going to refer to that when we review it. Cool. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I don't really have much in the way of check-ins. Um yeah, not really. I don't really have much going on. <laughs> um, okay. I started re-listening to The Outsider, um, mm. and so I'm. I'm. That's also in preparation for, <laughs> uh, for um, future episodes. Um, and then also Mike, um, <laughs> who you heard on the eleven twenty two sixty three episode, uh, he has started reading Mister Mercedes. So sweet. Think we'll have him on to talk about that at some yeah. point. Plus, you're like gearing up for Twilight Zone. So it, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yes, and thank you, Tiny. So <laughs> on Anthology, my side project or my solo podcast, um, I am about to start reviewing the new season of the new Twilight Zone, uh, hosted by Jordan Peele on CBS All Access. Um, yeah, that check that out. I am hoping to really get like. Last year, I said I said on a, across all of the podcasts. Um, last year, when I reviewed the first season of the CBS All Access Twilight Zone, it was some of the most fun and most pride worthy um, uh, podcasting that I've done because I just really sunk my teeth into it, and um, I'm really excited to just dive right back into that world and really dissect these episodes of the Twilight Zone. Nice. Um, so yeah, so the first episode of that's going to go up June 25th. Um, right at 3 a.m. when the embargo lifts and when the episodes drop on CBS All Access. So I'll go episode by episode, and yeah, so look forward to that on anthologypod.com. Awesome. Um, yeah, so do you want to talk some news? Yes. Okay, so the first thing, I don't have the link right in front of me, but um, I don't have the link right in front of me, but I did see that Shudder has ordered scripts for season three of 
the anthology show. Um, Creep Show. Creep Show. Thank yeah. you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Um, of Creep Show, which is interesting because Creep Show season two has not premiered yet. They actually got they had to shut down production because of COVID. Um, so it's interesting that I think. Um, oh God, what is the showrunner's name? Greg Nicotero. Okay. Um, I think he's the showrunner. Anyway, Greg Nicotero had said, like, yeah, we're just kind of, you know, twiddling our thumbs, so we're going to be productive, and we're going to start writing scripts because they ordered it. So nice. that bodes well for it. Um, yeah. Have you have you gotten a chance to see? Not any of it, no. Okay. Because um, I really want us to review it. Um, but as is the case with this podcast, um, in order to review it, we have to review the movies and it's a whole big to do. Right. So we'll do that eventually, but I'm very excited to, to review it with you. Um, yeah. Um, so we'll put a pin on that. And then the next piece of news is something, uh, I thought was kind of just fun really is that Stephen King tweeted about, uh, (laughs) like some, an idea that he's had for a novel that he's never that he never wrote, and I'm loading it up now. This is going to take a minute, but uh, have you caught wind of this at all, Tiny? No. Okay, so he tweeted it like a couple days ago on June 15th, and he had said that like basically he always wanted to write a novel um, set in the Friday the Thirteenth series <laughs> from Jason Voorhees' perspective. Oh my god! <laughs> and like. It's it sounds interesting, like just when he says that, because it's this idea of this man that's trapped in this like never ending, like he can't die, he keeps murdering people, and he's just trapped in at Camp Crystal Lake and other places and stuff. Yeah. Um. So that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. It's a little different from anything he's really done. Uh, yeah. That I'm aware of. Um. Very high concept, though. Oh yeah. I like oh, that. Yeah. Yep. Uh. So let me throw this question out to you, Tiny. What universe be it science fiction horror um whatever what universe would you like stephen king to write a like a one-off novel within that universe wow yeah i would say i would say either i'm gonna go sci-fi Ooh, nice. i would say either dune Ooh. or alien Alien would be awesome. Oh, man. That would be... Yeah. Crap, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Huh. Um, hmm. Well, I asked the question, and I have no answer. Um, (laughs) Let me look at my DVDs real quick. I'd love to have him do, um, like, a, uh, a great alien abduction book as well because like he's yeah. he's delved into aliens before mm-hmm. like with tommy <laughs> yeah. knockers and Dreamcatcher, Dreamcatcher, yeah. um and i don't know they just weren't great because like that concept terrifies me that right. aliens come into your home and abduct you and mm-hmm. do things to you that scares the shit out of me and just yeah. seeing him explore that would be it'd explore be, it'd be properly <laughs> yeah explore it properly yeah um like tr- like true you know True abduction, alien abduction type mm. story would be. That would be really cool. Yeah, nice. Um, and just throwing this out there, if any listeners have recommendations for like books like with that concept, um, I'd be very interested to check that out. So let mm. me know. And I've never read Dreamcatcher. I've only I've only seen the movie. Oh yeah. Do so. you remember seeing the movie with me in the theater? 
I think me, you, and Kyle saw it like in high school. Well, I really don't remember yeah. that. <laughs> I I just I don't rem I remember very little of that. Okay. I just remember being in the theater and seeing it in the theater with you and Kyle. I think. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yep. Like basically no memory of that at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yep. mean. Damn. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie about farting aliens. Yeah. Like that's not gonna. That's you're not gonna retain that memory, Tiny. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but eventually, obviously, we'll cover that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that and the book, which I listened to last year, or the year before. Yeah. It was like a th like I couldn't. Uh, it was fine. Yeah. Um, I remember liking the cast of the movie. Yeah, me too. That's about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know what I would pick. It would be really interesting to, huh, maybe something in like a, like a slasher movie, like, well, Friday the 13th, yeah. but like Scream or, um, if I were to go like the sci-fi route like you did, um, I don't know. Um, oh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, this would be interesting. Um, Something set in the Batman universe, uh -huh, um, okay. like not necessarily, um, not necessarily about Batman, but kind of like a Gotham kind of thing where it's like a character, like he follows like a street level character, like an everyman character okay. who is just experiencing like Batman stuff. Okay. Um, that'd be interesting. Or like an origin of a villain would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Yep. Cause he writes characters so well and he really does. Batman is... That franchise is so well known for its villains. Mm. Yep. Tell that to the <laughs> DC yeah. um, movie people. Yeah. Um, although I did. So uh, I'm a list man, and uh, <laughs> I made a list uh, because I, I've been like very closely keeping an eye on like ideas for like long like review series on the website on obsessiveviewer.com, like written review series. Mm -hmm. So like right now I'm slowly doing like a review series of all the universal monster movies. And I'm about to start doing Godzilla from the criterion set that came out like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. And then I have plans for just ridiculous plans for the future. But I started thinking like, you know, it would, it would be kind of cool to do like a Batman review series, but like, <laughs> a Batman review series, like every like movie with Batman. Wow. Including like the animated movies. So I have okay. a list. Do you want to take a guess how many there are? Just the movies, just the movies. Um, this is in, Oh no, no, no. Just the movies and the TV series. Um, okay. Separated by, Oh, separated by seasons. And I forgot one. I forgot Gotham. Oh gosh, Gotham! I didn't even think of. Yeah, animated series. I, the animated series. I want to say that had like. Did that have ten seasons? No, no. It had four. It had four. Yeah, it only had four. Four Jeez. volumes, even. Four volumes. Okay. Yeah. Um, movies. I want to say there's probably fourteen or fifteen. Okay, I don't have. I just have them all in a list. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but then Goth How many seasons of Gotham? I want to say there were like five or six. Were there really that many? I think. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah, that'd be a tall mm. task. Do you want me to tell you how many? When considering, like, also the animated films and everything. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fifty-eight. 
Jeez. Yeah, I will never get to that. Like, I will never. I, I, this is a this is something I'm not even going to publicize or anything. Yeah. Except for on a podcast that's available to everyone. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like it starts at like Batman 1966 season one. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, so that's just that's seasons of TV and movies. Yep. Yep. Fifty eight. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yep. That's crazy. I didn't know there was that much. Yeah, it's crazy. And like, I mean, I'm going to say it, Tiny. Batcast. Batcast. <laughs> the only animated movie I've seen is uh, The Killing Joke that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. That was okay. good. I think I saw or started to saw um, <laughs> uh, year one. Um, yeah. I really love the animated series. It's great. It's amazing. I yeah. bought the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. See it over my right here, or over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it is on my Voodoo. If you ever want to watch it, it's on your Voodoo. Yes, nice. Um, as is Fringe, which I need to watch as well. Yeah, Fringe is a decent show. Nice. Uh, there was a bit on Parks and Rec on the, like the season five finale, where um, Leslie is Leslie's like in the middle of a crisis or whatever, and then Ben says to her like, uh, "Yeah, well, you know, when you were working on." this thing and and uh i was in bed i couldn't sleep so i decided to throw on uh throw throw on the the first season of fringe again you know just to check for plot holes and it's as i suspected it's airtight Um, (laughs) it's just i just i yeah that's silly yeah um so anyway uh moving on to king news and everything um (laughs) we are a stephen king podcast um (laughs) I do want to mention this isn't really news per se, but um, have you? We talked about this at some point, but I just want to give a shout out to the King Cast, uh, hosted by Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler. Um, it premiered, um, it I think in the interim before, like it premiered after our last episode came out. Um, have you listened to it at all? I haven't. No. Okay, man, it is good really um yeah i highly 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 i almost require you <laughs> to listen to the episode with glenn mazara okay because he talks very intimately about the dark tower pilot Oof. and his plans what his plans would have been for the entire series wow and i was nearly moved to tears <laughs> like no hyper no hyperbole there but also, like, it was a comforting thing because we've been fans of the Dark Tower series longer than we've been podcasters. Yeah. And, like, it's been, what, like, 10 years, 11 years even, um, that we've been fans of the Dark Tower series. And in those years, we have, since we are obsessive viewers, we have talked about how we would adapt it, how, you know, what, like, we've fantasized about that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Glenn Mazzara's idea was exactly what we, <laughs> like, said, but in listening to him talk about it and his level of just his knowledge of the series and his care with the uh, uh, adaptation... I was listening to it and I was like, okay, well, this was our shot. This was this was the adaptation. <sighs> Amazon passed on it. It's never going to it's it, like this iteration of it will never be, but I find comfort knowing that someone got it. Yeah. Like someone understood it on a level to which 
it would have been astounding. And it was a weird comforting thing because I was like, we're never going to see it. Yeah. But also, I can't fathom someone having the same type of just vision for this property. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of a a bittersweet thing because it's like, okay, well, at least it was possible and we're never going to see it, but at least it was, it could have existed at some point. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, we talked about Amazon throwing all their, throwing all their money at uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And wheel of time also. Yeah. Yeah. Just not a good, yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Yep, yep. So, Damn. but the King cast, I gotta say, is amazing. Like, it's very good. It's very entertaining. Nice. They've had several episodes at this point. Um, the Dark Tower one is a must listen to. Like, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, <laughs> seriously. Downloading them all now. Nice. Yeah. And uh, also, the episode where they talk about Carrie with uh, filmmaker Corinne Kusama. Amazing. Just fantastic. Nice. Um, and, like, all of these episodes have something in common with me, is that I could listen to them talk for hours. Wow. Like, them as hosts, uh, Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler, they're great, but also just the guests they have on are phenomenal, and they, they, they're very insightful and everything. And uh, on June 10th, they released the, an episode about Misery, the movie, uh, with Elijah Wood, and blew me away like elijah wood he seems like just he's a super down-to-earth guy he knows very like he knows he he has a very strong knowledge base for genre film okay and like his him talking about misery and just him talking to them about stuff like they they go way back like they've they've known each other for a while and just like him talking like he talks about how like he had kind of a stalker and he talks about quitting smoking and stuff and like all of that i'm like i could listen to him for days <laughs> like it's so just eloquent and everything wow um and then the episode they released today is the lawnmower man which i haven't uh, listened to but with sarah Beatty, who on on uh, twitter her name is sarah or nacho sarah um, she's, she's hilarious. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Sweet. So yeah, I did listen to, uh, the company of the mad episode. Oh, nice. I was going to bring yeah. that up too. Yep. Um, how'd you feel about it? It was good. Nice. Um, it got me very interested in, uh, Tananaviv Rue, the other, mm-hmm. um, I actually added one of her books to my, one of my lists on, nice. I haven't bought it yet, but I think I'm going to listen to one of her books. So sweet. I mean, she just, the way she, she's a writer herself and the way she mm-hmm. talks about, how Stephen King is one of her biggest influences. Like, oh, absolutely. Makes me want to read her stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. First of all, she is, she talked about it on the episode, but she is, uh, her first TV writing gig is coming next right. week in The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, her episode is titled A Small Town. Uh, it's got Damon Wayans Jr. I'm very much excited about it. And, like,. I've been toying with the idea of like, because I was looking at the people who are involved in season two of the Twilight Zone. I was like, like I've, I followed them on Twitter on anthology. Um, and I was like, like I've found like some of them have their DMS open. Cause I don't want to be like a tweet, like tweet publicly at them. But I just want to like, maybe I can just slide in and be like, Hey, <laughs> do you want to come on and talk about your episode? Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I'll, I'll do that. Cause like I've recorded the first episode for the first, ep- the f- first episode of that review series covering the first episode of the new season and that clocked in at an hour and 40 minutes oh my gosh um so we'll see 
All right. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Um, yeah, check it out, uh, the KingCast, and also check out the Company of the Mad, the Stand podcast. Um, very gracious of uh, uh, Jason Seacrest to give us a shout-out on Twitter. Um, yeah. Not even just – not like, like he gave us a shout-out because he listened to us and other Stephen King podcasts in preparation for um, – for creating that show. And it was just like a huge honor. Cause I'm like, Oh, people listen to us. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, what else? Okay. Um, I think that should do it for news. Um, I do have one, one, uh, check in or one, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, uh, feedback from, uh, the last episode from a month ago. So, so sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, one of one of our fans and patrons um, and friends of the show, Robert in Utah, he uh, he gave us feedback and said, "Great episode. Um, I hope Tiny starts to enjoy the show more. He doesn't seem very excited about it." <laughs> um, yeah, referring to Castle Rock. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so we'll see how he uh, how these next run of episodes fared for Tiny. Um, Tiny, I think you know what this uh, what is to come now. Because we are about to start our review of Castle Rock. And we can't do that, Tiny, (laughs) without the very much needed theme music. (sighs) So I'm just going to play it. Okay. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. Castle (laughs) Rock! Castle King Watch that. <laughs> oh my god yeah. uh, so as you can see, tell that's you um, it is me I did an alternate version of it so you're welcome oh man um, so okay so castle rock um castle um, so castle rock is based on the stories of stephen king the series intertwines characters and themes from the fictional town of castle rock season two is comprised of 10 episodes that aired from october 23rd to december 11th 2019 on hulu the season starred lizzie kaplan as annie wilkes tim robbins as pop merrill paul sparks as ace merrill as well as elsie fisher barkhad abdi and yusra warsama so this episode we are going to be reviewing episodes four, five, and six, and we're gonna go. We're gonna try to go spoilers just for each episode we're talking about. So um, we'll see how that fares. So let's go ahead and go into our first episode, Tiny uh, Restore Hope, which aired on October thirtieth, twenty nineteen. The plot of it, uh, courtesy of Hulu, is Nadia learns a dark truth about her past. Uh, writers for this episode were Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy. Um, they are both... Uh, they worked on and they wrote um, the movie Ready or Not last year, which was a fun, fun, very fun horror movie. 
Um, and they are currently attached to Scream 5, which is coming out uh, like in a year or two, I think, or hmm. whenever. Uh, who knows with the world. Um, <laughs> but I'm very excited about that. And director for this episode was Phil Abraham, who previously directed episode two of this season, New Jerusalem. So, Tiny, where to begin with this episode? So, we get a lot of the f- a lot of flashbacks with Somali and Pop in the 90s in the military. Um, how did you feel about this whole thing? This episode is built around the revelation that Pop killed Nadia and uh, um, um, Ab- uh, Abdi's mother mm-hmm. in Somalia. So how did you feel about that uh, aspect of this episode? Uh, I was all for it, for the for the character development mm-hmm. um, aspect of it. And uh, I feel like... I feel like this is this is the detail that King fans love. Mm-hmm. We we love to see these these characters fleshed out the, this way. Um, I figured. I, I don't think it was much of a shock. I figured that this maybe happened. I don't know that he like. I, I wasn't convinced that he had defended like actually pulled the trigger that killed their mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured he was like there, and you know there was he was involved in some way, right? Um, it didn't change the fact that it was highly dramatic mm-hmm. and just, you know, an, an incredible journey to watch it happen. Right. It was really awesome the way it was, was filmed and uh, expressed to the audience. I was really happy with the way it was written and all that. Mm-hmm. Really well done. Um, and the way it was sort of explored amongst this, like... Um, I don't know what you call it, like a fo- a faux funeral or like yeah. a whatever like, uh, a wake or you know yeah kind of is it technically an Irish wake? Oh yeah, okay. I guess yeah. there is like a real term for it, an Irish I, wake. I think that that's what it is. I just know it from the wire. Okay, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, like that. The, the fact that it's kind of set and interspersed with that mm-hmm. is really. I just love that the finality of that event with the finality of awake yeah was just really a cool juxtaposition um i really dug this episode uh for for robert don't worry (laughs) i I really got into these next three episodes a lot and i'm i'm very much into this season now nice nice yeah uh that's exciting um that's that's all that's awesome to hear because i i've been interested in the episode in, in the season um, but it, like, I think that that's more just like I'm invested in the series. Like, I'm, I just want this product. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it really kicked into gear, especially in this episode, starting with this episode. Right. Um, which I think is kind of a running, obviously, it's a mirror of the first season because the fourth episode is when the prison stuff happened. And that was a big moment, um, mm-hmm. a kind of watershed moment for the, for the season, for the first season. Um, so yeah, so the, the kind of the wake, um, we'll talk about that in a bit, but in this episode, it's kind of revealed, or it's or it's more explicit that Chris and Nadia kind of have a thing, right? Which is interesting because they're kind of you know they grew up together, right? Um, so that that's interesting. Um, so yeah, so the whole wake storyline comes from Nadia giving Pop the bad news about his cancer, just saying that you know he doesn't have much time left. Um, how did you feel? We're gonna gonna going to kind of jump around a little bit, but how did you feel about the wake itself? Like how, um, just it was structured and everything. Did you think of the wire? 
<laughs> um, a little bit, yeah. It did make me think of The Wire. They had that a few times in that show. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think it's a cool idea. I think it's a very um, it fits that it fits that character well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's kind of a tough guy, and he's well known in the community and stuff like that. I think it kind of makes sense. It also makes sense that he would he would sort of uh, that Pop Merrill would come to the realization that he's lost this battle. Mm. And that he's not going to fight anymore. Um, I, I kind of, I, again, I think that just fits his character. You mm. know, like I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah, so I, I liked all the, again, to use the word fine, the finality of that. I think yeah. is is a, uh, it's just fitting of the character, and it it really, it fit in, it fit into the story really well. So, okay. um, yeah, and just the, I mean, it it, it it provided a good environment for some comic relief mm-hmm. and uh for all these characters you know they're apart so much like yeah. they have their individual side stories going on and they're starting to come together a lot more now right which is what's making the story more interesting for me nice so yeah it's just it, it's it's a good good catalyst for all these characters to come together cool yeah um yeah and i i love tim robbins character uh his performance in this episode um like his self-eulogy is really great um, yes and I like the way that the the wake scenes were cross cut with Nadia discovering the the truth and everything. Um, and to back up a little bit, um, I have a nit to pick about this episode. Um, Nadia goes to Emporium Galorium to get Pop's DD two fourteen his his um, military Dis- discharge, discharge papers. papers. Yeah, and she goes through his stuff and everything. It's at night. It's creepy, suspenseful, and everything. Um, I do like that in the in the uh, desk there are a bunch of letters from Dale Lacey. I found that interesting. Mm. But Ace's guys come in and kind of attack her as retribution. I think it's as retribution for Abdi. Um, their kind of whole conflict and everything, or the thought that Abdi killed him, uh, killed Ace. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, the nit that I have to pick is that Nadia finds finds the gun, grabs the gun, and fires a shot, and then like it's so clunky and awkward the way that she puts the gun, like she she has the gun on, trained on them and everything, and then one of them is like, "Do you even know how to use that?" And it's like, "Dude, she just did. Like, <laughs> she literally just used the gun. Right? Like you were right there. She fired a shot. Yes, she knows how to operate a fucking firearm." <laughs> Um, like, I don't know. That just really got under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a goon thing to say, though. It It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, throughout the wake and everything, I don't know how many, how many notes I have for this, but, um, throughout the wake, I did, I did like the casket filled with beer. I thought that was clever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, pop gives, like, lets a kid kind of take some beer and everything, mm-hmm. which comes back later in a big way. We'll talk about the ending of this episode pretty, uh, pretty soonish. But, uh, another thing happens during this wake sequence. Um, first of all, Nadia goes, goes and she first asks Chris if he knew about, like, the truth about what happened. Um, which is interesting. I don't really remember. That didn't really stand out that much. But, but the th- because it kind of got overshadowed because after that, uh, Ace is putting his stuff into place. He's putting things into place, and he brings Chris to the church. And this is where we're kind of coming to the end of it. This is really all the notes I have. But um, <laughs> uh, 
that ending or that that kind of big like climactic moment where the kid that pop let take the let let go with the beer gets just destroyed by a truck mm-hmm. which i thought was very cool uh the realtor stabs the bartender and then uh the cop pl- strangles the co- uh, councilwoman person mm-hmm. and then ace and chris in the church ace stabs chris a fight ensues the music is amazing and they it's brutal like how did you feel about this altercation in the kind of like basement of the church uh i I loved the whole chris being killed thing which is a weird statement um i loved i just loved it for the imagery Mm -hmm. the fact that it's in the church and he literally gets murdered with a crucifix like right. an, an ornate crucifix mm. by a priest yes like i don't know that they're on the altar but they're like they're like up by the they're like right in front of it right yeah. like right in front of it and he like gets killed execution style like on his knees like yes. it's just very symbolic and just like the symmetry of it is so interesting just really cool visual cues during all this totally i really loved it and and again like you like you were saying the editing of all of it coming together mm-hmm. the cop and the bartender and they all at the same time kind of make their move and yeah. you just see how quickly this cult is yeah. infiltrating everything if you will i don't know what else to call it at this point right um supernatural cult yeah um yeah it's just very very cool editing and, and like like by the end of this episode i was like okay i'm into this show now like nice. i'm really i'm in i want to i want to watch the rest of this and i think like within i watched all three of these episodes in like a week okay so which like i hadn't done with any other mm-hmm. The first three episodes were very spread out. Yeah. And, and like, then we waited a month to record. <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's, I was going to say, I should have said that disclaimer again. That, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's been over a month since I've watched these. So my memory on them is a little hazy, but I know that my enthusiasm is through the roof. And yeah. I'm just so ecstatic about what they're doing with Ace Merrill, mm-hmm. what his character, the arc his character's taking. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I loved it. I was all for it. The, just the violence. Like, it does not shy away from it, and I, I love that, especially after it's been... I mean, we got we got plenty of violence in the first few episodes, especially in that first episode with the ice cream scoop, but mm. like this is just like calculated and just on another level of brutality and everything. And I love... I kind of put myself in Chris's shoes that like... Um, he, he, I mean, he doesn't understand at all. Like, I can't imagine like... Uh, being in that situation where like my brother is about to murder me, right? Um, what's going through his mind? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just the confusion and everything. Uh, it's really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um. So then after that is where we get back to the wake, and Nadia goes to pop, and uh, <laughs> and uh, confronts him. But before she confronts him, he says the line. I love this line. He says. If anyone can bring me back to life, it's you, uh, to Nadia. This is before the confrontation. I was like, that's that's mm-hmm. a sweet moment. Yeah. And also just the double meaning, especially with what's going on in Castle Rock, is like amazing. Yeah. Um, so Nadia confronts him and it, like reveals that she knows, and he knows that she knows uh, that I have in my notes. Pop killed her, killed their mommy. Um, and Nadia storms out, and that's basically the end of the episode. That's kind of a brief review. <laughs> um, what did you think of that confrontation, and how did you feel going forward? Like in that moment, how did you feel about the revelation and and how that was going to? Um, did you have any theories about how that was going to um, proceed with the episode or with the season? Um, 
I loved it all, and I feel like our short review of the episode is warranted because it's mm-hmm. so much of it is wrapped around the wake and the the character backstory. Yeah, that's such a big chunk of the episode that you know you kind of like I said, it was it, I wouldn't say it was predictable, right? But you can kind of see it coming, I think. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the the confrontation I was kind of heartbreaking, and like it's 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 funny how much I empathize with Pop Merrill because mm-hmm. like he just he does not. While he's sort sort of villainous, maybe, and he's kind of a bad guy in a way, he's just kind of a bad guy. Villain's too strong of a word, but he's, right. you know, he he's he's kind of a, a crime organized crime guy, like you know, right. like Tony Soprano, like yeah, you know, you kind of like him, and mm-hmm. he has he has bright spots, but I I really really empathize with him because mm-hmm. I feel like he just he made a huge mistake when he killed their mother like i don't think he's an evil guy i don't think he wanted to kill people i think he was put in a difficult situation right um and and he made an it resulted in a very unfortunate tragic thing right um but try explaining that yeah you know 20 20 30 years later and with all the emotions running high that's I I'm curious to see where it all goes and and mm-hmm. what the implications of it will be, but I feel like Nadia is the kind of person that will ultimately forgive him to an extent mm-hmm. and and keep him in her life for however brief that might be for th- right. either of them, depending on where this all goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just very heartbreaking. Um, and uh, but but really good, you know, and just. Uh, Usra Warsa Usra Warsama is yeah. her name. Very uh, interesting name. She was great. Mm-hmm. She's been great. Oh, amazing! But I really, she really shined in this episode. Yeah. Um, I I loved her in this. She really doctor sleeped. Yeah. In this uh, <laughs> nice in this episode. Yeah, and Tim Robbins, like he said, mm-hmm. like I, I'm so glad he's not like phoning it in for a Me TV too. show or something. He's oh, good, yeah. very good. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's our review of Restore Hope, um, episode four of Castle Rock season two, and now we're going to go on to episode five. So in episode four, I didn't detect any Easter eggs or references to Stephen King. I'm sure that I missed plenty. Yeah. So I didn't have any of my notes. So yeah. It aired November 6, 2019 on Hulu, and the plot, courtesy of Hulu, is in 1994, a sequence of events begins that changes the life of a girl named Annie forever. Writers for this episode were Vince Calandro, or Calandra, and Daria... Politan, Pol, uh, Politan, and director for this episode was Ann Zuwitzki, who also directed an episode of Black Mirror that I just reviewed on Anthology, Rachel Jack and Ashley 2 with Miley Cyrus. This episode starts with a flashback. The whole episode is really a flashback, but mm-hmm. um, interspersed with, um, with, with, with Joy reading the, the Ravening Angel. Um, Throughout, throughout the episode. But we begin in elementary school with young Annie reading, having to read from a children's book that references a laughing place. Um, and she has to read in front of everyone. And I thought that this was a really clever depiction of dys- dyslexia. Yes. Yeah. Very, very cool, just visually. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, how'd you feel about that? I know that you have some slight dyslexia. Very, very mild dyslexia, okay. yeah. And, like, it's... 
like I barely have it, okay. <laughs> um, but I, I like I, I have been like diagnosed with it, and mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, mine is mild enough that like like hooked on phonics worked for me when I was oh, a nice. kid. Did like, you use hooked on phonics? literally, yeah, like really? it literally worked for me. And okay. the reason why I can read and write is because of that program. Nice. Um, and uh, so yeah, but like still, sometimes when I read, it's it's truly like that. Like it's really? it's like it's almost like the sum of letters are backwards, and like I'll read a sentence. And then I'm like, wait, what did I just read? And I'll go back, and I, I I have missed like three out of the ten words. Wow! Just like completely, I'm like, what? How did that just happen? It's Jeez. it's a really weird thing that I can't even I I don't understand, it and it happens to me. So okay, that was a yeah, a very good depiction of it in the in the uh, the show. I appreciated that a lot. Um, yeah, I so I've never been diagnosed with dyslexia. I've never had that um, sensation happen or anything like that. Um, my kind of thing, I think, is just undiagnosed, like ADHD or something. Yeah, because like I just don't focus on what I what I read. My mind just wanders yep. too much. So yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway. Um, so that was an interesting thing. Um, it leads to a an altercation on the bus where Annie is being bullied and she just straight up hits the bully with her lunchbox <laughs> like brutally. Um, and so the, so the school wants to transfer her and put her in remedial classes or put her in remedial classes. Um, and the parent, like we get a, our first look at her parents. And so her mother is this religious um, fanatic really. And I kind of wonder if that was an intentional like reference to Carrie or mm. any number of characters in Stephen King's canon. Right. Um, or inspired by it at least. But um But yeah, so it it eventually ends up or we it leads to us learning that Annie's dad is writing a book called The Ravening Angel, um, which the first episode of this show opens up with a flashback seeing her with a box with the Ravening Angel, which ends up having joy in it as a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, what I want to mention here is that he's having Annie help him write The Ravening Angel. And it is a dynamic where, like, he's going to teach her how to read and how to overcome her dyslexia and everything. Did I just kick you with my foot? A little bit. Okay, sorry. Uh, social distancing. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, what I found really interesting about that is that it's a it's a really unique riff on the Annie and Paul Sheldon dynamic in Misery. Right. Um, you haven't read Misery, right? You've only. Oh yeah, I've read it. Oh, you've it, read it. Okay, like, I was it was years ago. Nice, nice. Like junior high. Nice. I, yeah. I was going to suggest that we do Misery in the movie after... I'm this. game. Okay. I've sweet. been meaning to revisit the book for a long nice. time. I just recently revisited the book, and ooh, it's nice. Good. Nice. Like, it's so good, I will re-listen to it again. <laughs> um, I, I love it so much. So, yeah, we'll put that on the on the books. Sweet. Yeah. I am all over the place. Jesus Christ. Anyway, yeah. so uh, I found that really interesting that it's an interesting riff on Annie and Paul Sheldon. Um, and I've what I found myself thinking about when watching this episode is that it would be really interesting to apply this specific backstory onto the Annie Wilkes from Misery. Like, have like I wonder how that would how that would affect reading the book if you assume that okay, this is exactly what. Like, this is canon. Like, what if this was canon and this is what Annie Wilkes' backstory was like? Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really interesting if that changes the context of Misery or the read of Misery in any way. Um, that's just something I, I was fun, I was uh, playing with in my in my head. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I I really loved this episode. Nice. Oh, like, me too. Just blanket statement. This yeah, is an incredible episode. So great. Yeah. I um because Annie Wilkes is a um one of the more famous characters mm-hmm. in I think Stephen King's oeuvre. Yeah. Uh, which again, I I'll, I'd associate a lot of that, or I'd give a lot of credit to Kathy Bates' performance in the movie. Yeah. I mean, she won an Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but still. You can say Annie Wilkes and people who aren't even big Stephen King fans know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And so to put a give her a backstory, even though it's like you said, it's not canon necessarily, right? Is just so cool just to see oh, that yeah. character expanded in any to such a great degree and get backstory. I just mm. I'm all about backstory. It's oh, yeah. just one of my favorite things, and, and uh, especially in King in yeah. King's work, like he does right. it so well. Yes. And, that's something I love about the show is that it's carrying on that that king like feel in such a yeah, such a good way. Right. Um, I just I just thought of something that could be like its own like episode series for us to do, but just really <laughs> really uh, the thought that just entered my head is what would what would the conversation be like in a first date between Annie Wilkes and Jack Torrance. Oh my god. Like if they were on like a first date or something, like yeah. what would that interaction be like? Oof. Um Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy hypothetical. It is, it is. Um, uh patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, <laughs> uh yeah. Maybe we can do something like that. Do like a whole i I'll I'll send you a, a long ass email. <laughs> um so uh what I'd love about so so going back to the episode we get Annie's father is, is he and he and Annie are talking about like the the characters in his book and i like how he's talking about the co- complexity of the characters in his story and it's as an allegory for his marriage and uh it's just it's funny because it's to Annie Wilkes who is Obviously, we know her as like she's a very black and white person. Like, okay, this person is a good old guy, or or this person is a dirty birdie, and there's nothing, no middle ground or anything. That's her. Mm-hmm. That's her kind of thing. Um, so I I really liked that, and I liked how the episode kind of developed the the mo- father and mother as both being controlling parents in their own way. Did you get that? Or? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the. Kind of yeah, the kind of the the like strict fire and brimstone mm. of the mother, and then the kind of domineering dad in a yeah. way. Um, but I, it, it's funny because they're both from like a place of love, like truly. Yeah, it's not that they're just like sadists. Like mm-hmm. the, it's it's from a place of love. I think that's yeah. a uh, an important part of of this story. Definitely. Yeah. Um. It, like yeah, because he's obsessed with his writing. She's a religious nut. Um. Yeah, and I want to point out the when she is flossing Annie's teeth, I was it made me cringe. Like that was very disturbing. Yeah, um, and controlling and everything. Um, to kind of move away from that, there is a switch or a flash forward or a pre- back to present day where Abdi brings Joy to the construction site where uh, she is having a meeting with Annie. Um, and so, so Joy asks about the fa- uh, about Annie's father, and he, she doesn't say anything. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I 
the whole like how did you feel about the present day interactions between um adult Annie and, and Joy? Um I feel like I feel like it's all happening so fast, like mm-hmm. like Joy is distancing herself from Annie so quickly. Yeah. Um not not that that's like a bad thing or like a bad writing, it's just that like it's kind of jarring how quickly it's happening. Yeah. Cuz in the first 2 to 2 and a half episodes um it's just so cut and dry. Yeah. That she's very uh Joy is very like reliant on her mother and mm-hmm. like uh, follows for the most part follows her rules to a T. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. And then she just begins to rebel and distance herself so quickly. Yeah. Understandably so. Right. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's 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 just sort of jarring, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of an unfortunate symptom of, you know, episodic television that, like, you can't cram everything in there. Right. Um, you'd think you have all the time in the world, but mm-hmm. there's so many other characters and so much going on. It's, it's yeah. just hard to squeeze it all in there. I, I think it would have been better if it was a little more gradual. Mm-hmm. Or a little more fleshed out, but uh, sure. it's cer- certainly not. It's certainly not bad, and I, I do like the evolution of Joy as a character. Mm-hmm. How she's starting to stick up for herself more and yeah. think for herself more. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I do like that too. Um, so, going back to the flashback, um, I do want to mention that the concept of searchers and settlers comes from Annie's dad's manuscript. Um, so that's an interesting kind of backstory to that element of the dialogue in an early episode. Mm-hmm. And so Annie's mother kind of, I, I think it was kind of in defiance of, of the father hires Rita, a tutor to help, uh, Annie with, you know, eventually getting her GED. And I love this so much because, the actress is Sarah Gadon, yeah, who was Sadie in eleven twenty two sixty three, and I just I love this shared like casting universe of Stephen King characters, yeah. Um, like we've got the big ones in the first two seasons of um, um, Sissy Spacek and Tim Robbins, but like I love these like little like things like this shared thing that Sarah Gadon is now in two Stephen King properties. Right. Um, and even in 11, 63, something I didn't mention when I had Mike on about it. Um, Gil Bellows is in it. And I just love that because he was in Shawshank Redemption. Um, so, so really good stuff. Um, and yep. so there's a montage and obviously it's all going to go to shit eventually, but there's a montage of Rita teaching Annie and like, it's so sweet and, and sincere and uh, and I do love that she's teaching her to read with Pinocchio. And I thought that was a nice touch. As, uh, and this is probably pretty uh, just on the nose and everything but and, and lame. But uh, I love it because because uh, uh, she's growing into a more complete person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I keep, I keep looking away from my little alarm thing, and the yellow light keeps looking like it's blinking, but it's just me moving my face. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah, so that's distracting. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and so that kind of montage of, of Pinocchio and everything switches over to, to – ter- takes a turn because her reaction to Pinocchio shows how, just how messed up she is. Like, if you remember – the reaction is that, like, oh, he's, like, uh, I think it, it was just a clear black and white thing. Like, okay, he's a bad person, so he doesn't deserve to be good or whatever. Right. Um, just really just shows how messed up she is. Yeah, and how, I mean, I think there's an interesting, not to get into a discussion about 
the mores of homeschooling, but I think it's it's interesting how she's you know as as an adult and as Annie Annie as a mother, she's very socially awkward and she's mm-hmm. like um frankly she's not that well educated mm-hmm. and and it's just i don't know it's it's interesting to see how like her her dad thought that he could just teach her through his writing and like yeah. you know education is so much more than just learning to read and write like right. you need math and science and critical mm-hmm. thinking is so critical mm-hmm. it's and and Annie does not think critically at all right. ever and and I think that's just that like I'm not I'm not trying to shit on homeschooling at all I'm just saying like um I think it takes it takes several people and lots of minds mm-hmm. and interaction to really educate a person. Yeah. And you can get that with homeschooling for sure. Right. I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's, it's interesting to see how her education as a child influenced her mm-hmm. as an adult and exacerbated, which is a bit of a callback, nice. uh, <laughs> exacerbated her psychosis, if that's what yeah. you want to call it, or her sociopathy or whatever it is that mm-hmm. she has that makes her nuts. You know, it's it was a horrible environment for that to grow. Hmm. And what, what do you mean? <laughs> what? No, I mean exacerbated. What, what do you mean? <laughs> <Damn it>. um, <laughs> so anyway, nice. That's actually called back to Patreon. So Patreon.com slash those of you. I can't remember if it was Patreon or not. Yeah, but it. Uh, yeah, that's that's very true. I I agree with what you said, and uh, I think that it's a it's a nuanced read of the show in a in a pretty unique way. Um, mm-hmm. A whole like we're gonna start a new podcast, Nature versus Nurture. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I guess I don't know, but um, <laughs> uh, so we get the inclination that you know Annie's dad is gonna is gonna hook up with Rita. Um, I am a little bit more vulgar in my notes, but I will abstain from reading that. Um, <laughs> but there's another montage of Rita and Annie that are with them bonding, and I thought that, that was just beautiful. Like yes, it's it's interesting because this show is taking like we said one of the most iconic stephen king characters and not only that but one of the most iconic stephen king villains Mm -hmm. and like annie wilkes is a monster yeah um she is just out of out of her mind monster but what i love about the show is that it is giving this texture to her in this context that isn't compromising that reality or that canon but it is so far away from that, from what she becomes and what she is to pop culture and to everyone, like the forefront of everyone's mind. And I think that it strikes such a good balance by telling this unique story and eventually getting to a point where we understand where, she, like what she's, what she's thinking and how she thinks rather than it just being a monster we're giving texture to her. So I don't know. I just appreciate that. Do you have anything to add? Absolutely. No, I think you covered it pretty good there. Okay. So as we move along in the backstory, um, Annie's dad tells Annie that he's leaving and it's heartbreaking. Um, that scene, I just, cause he is her champion. Like she is like, she bonds with him and has such a close connection to him and like her losing him from, her everyday life is is really heartbreaking and everything. And again, it adds texture to a monster. It's just really good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the the backstory they managed to tell in such a short amount of time is amazing. Oh, absolutely. I love this episode. Oh yeah, same here. 
Um, yeah, and then we get more with Annie and, and Joy, their their rift. I'm, I didn't find it particularly compelling, honestly. Yeah, right. I think you covered it pretty well when you when you talked about it. But um, yeah, so as the show as the episode progresses, um, <laughs> Annie's mom. So Annie passes the GED, and Annie's mom takes her to visit colleges. And this scene is so disturbing to me because Annie's mom is clearly disturbed. She is very much just like she is. She's like Carrie's mom in in Carrie. Um, have you ever seen Carrie? Uh, you know, I haven't seen it. And I haven't read it. I, the oh only, my god! Really? The only Carrie I've seen is the remake with. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Chloe, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz and okay. uh, Julian Moore. Okay. Which I thought was great. Yeah. Um. I've, and I've, I feel like I've seen the movie because I know what happens and stuff right, like that. Right. But uh, yeah, I've never. Yeah, I need to. It's a blind spot for me. Yeah, and, and maybe then, we should do that too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I had the idea like oh, like a couple of years ago at this point that I was like, oh, just we should just go chronologically. <laughs> oh God. Do that, and I'm like, eh. no, because as we said in the Patreon, like it's better if we just do it our own way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I have in my notes, so, so basically Annie's mom is disturbed and she ends up driving herself into the water to kill herself and tries to kill Annie in the process. Mm-hmm. And I remember really liking the music in this, in this section, but more importantly in my, in my notes, I have characters in Castle Rock love driving cars into water to kill themselves. For real. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought it was, it was, I mean, it was fine, even though it was a, a, uh, rehash of of uh lacy to an extent um, yeah but she didn't put a rope around her head and that's true remove her head from her body yeah. in the process god i can't still that is just whew. it's wicked yep yeah. oh yeah uh how did you feel about this development in the story uh it was pretty shocking actually mm-hmm. it it worked on me pretty well nice. um yeah and and uh, big shout out to uh what's her name rachel wiegert's Whoa. Who plays her mother? Robin Wiegert, yeah, who plays her okay. mother. Um, she, uh, I think she's the most famous for um, Deadwood. Oh, okay. I've uh, never seen Deadwood. Yeah, I've only seen parts of it, but uh, okay. She played Annie Oakley. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, she played. I can't. She played like a cowgirl type character in that. Uh, way different role for her, but mm-hmm. anyways, uh, she was phenomenal. Um, I loved her kind of like when when she's sort of going crazy if you will mm-hmm. her her kind of vacuousness and yes. um distance uh detach detachment mm-hmm. very well uh very well exemplified through her performance i i loved yeah. i love that so um and then the big culmination driving the car into the water um yeah i thought it was really awesome and you know obviously influences uh annie wilkes mm-hmm. to a huge degree yeah oh um, yeah yeah um Totally, totally. And so we get kind of a time jump, and she's living with her father. um, And after months of grieving, Annie's dad has Rita come over with the baby. (laughs) Um, The baby's name is Evangeline, and we have a very awkward dinner scene. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So throughout the scene, they reveal that they've been together. And uh, Annie does the math and uh, figures out that, you know, Evangeline is her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and she pulls the knife on them. And I was, I was surprised. Like that was, that was pretty surprising. And how yeah. do you feel about this dinner scene? Yeah, it was again, shocking. Um, but just, you know, seeing, seeing the path, the progression is really, 
mm-hmm. just chilling and yeah. you, you see the writing on the wall you kind of see it coming but again it's it's one thing to see it coming and another thing to actually experience it yeah, oh, yeah. uh really they're pretty good at that with the show <laughs> they really are oh yeah um, a thing that I had like kind of a little bit of a critique about is that suddenly they are in the process of moving and it seems like that just was a bit of a leap. I, I didn't really follow that too closely. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. And we reveal that, uh, <laughs> I have my, my notes are ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Annie's dad was taking lithium, which is an interesting kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not really explored that much, but it's just interesting. Um, yeah, I don't really know what lithium does to you. Me neither. Um, I just know that it, in the context of the show, it helps Annie with her, you know, uh, yeah. mental state. Right. Um, and an interesting kind of development is that Annie holds Evangeline, and Evangeline cries. <laughs> um, and I put in my notes, kids suck. <laughs> um, yeah, and we get such a disturbing scene. So after that, Annie goes to Evangeline's room in the middle of the night, and, like, Rita comes up and stops her, like, when Annie's reaching her hand into the crib. Um, how'd you feel about that? Man, I kind of forgot about that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very tense. It's very, like, slowly paced. Like, Annie is slowly approaching the crib, and, like, she's, like, slowly putting her hands in the crib. Um, and, like, we don't know at this point. Like, is she going to murder this baby? Right. Like, where was that going to go? Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's really disturbing. I, I really liked that. Yeah. I don't really remember that scene. Hmm. Yeah, like okay. I said, it's been a month. Yeah, yeah, yep. Sorry. Well, and there's lots of well, there's lots of crazy in this episode yeah. too. Oh, like, yeah. oh, trying yeah. to keep it all straight. Yep. Um. So then, Carl, the father, uh, he is, he finally finishes his novel, and I found this interesting when he has the party in the yard. He's wearing the outfit that she has visions of. Yes. Um. And everything, and God, I love this episode. I really do. Yeah. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Um. How did you feel when Annie reads? the book and sees that dedication at the end for Rita K green, my laughing place. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a dick move. Kind of thought that too. Yeah. I mean, homie didn't deserve to die for it, but mm-hmm. like that was, yeah. Like I understand why she was so upset. Like, oh yeah. Uh, that was justified. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, yeah. Um, like I have in my notes, I just, have, I just have, fuck. <laughs> And uh, but that is painful and makes us feel for Annie. And also, like any ordinary like non-genre show, would have that as a genuine piece of drama. Like it would work without Annie's quirks and illness and without the context of misery. Right. But this episode paints just such a vivid picture of her state of mind through that context and through that backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I really really loved it. I thought that was a great development. And uh, like you said, a total dick move. <laughs> yeah, like to- and just totally like such an unaware move by her. Yeah, her dad. Like yep. He like he should understand by this point that his daughter is unstable. Right. And exactly. like, and it's, it's, it's established throughout the episode that he's kind of in denial. Right. He's, he's a very deny prone person. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's, it's true to character, but he shouldn't, he should have understood the implications of that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then everything goes to hell. Mm. Uh, Carl comes up to the attic after hearing Annie stirring. Um, and they have a confrontation and holy shit, just this moment is, oh, it is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, she pushes him, and I'll just read my notes. 
she pushes him, and Jesus fucking Christ, he gets impaled on a piece of wood. <laughs> fucking holy shit. So fucking horrific and tragic. And and this blew my mind, because I, I don't think I remembered it from when I first saw it, way back when it aired. But that's why the blood moves up his face and her visions of him. Oh. Because he has his bat, like, he's he's impaled on it, and, like, his head is, like arched back and right. the blood is floating like gravity um <laughs> so just i thought that was an incredible detail that is cool i didn't pick up on that yeah i, I, I was it. i was very floored by that that's awesome yeah and uh and then even like it doesn't end there because she tries to pull him up and yeah like, my notes god and her trying to pull him up fuck 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 <laughs> um just Oh, it is. Yeah, it is horrific. It really is. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's talk briefly just about this. Like, anything you want to add to this, and then we'll talk about Rita. I think it's interesting how it was sort of unintentional. Like, mm-hmm. she, I don't think she wasn't trying to kill her dad. Right. It was sort of a manslaughter situation. I don't know if you want to yeah. call it that. Um, but like, I, I don't think she quite was like a violent murderer at that point. Yeah. But I think once she sees the outcome, that's the tipping point. Like mm-hmm. that's where she's like, okay, I'm a killer now. Right. Not, not that like a light switch flips or anything, but I'm just saying like, that's, that's the tipping point. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Because and- it, as tragic and as messed up as it is, mm-hmm. I think what happens next is worse. Oh, totally. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a second, but I do have like a question Okay. that I would ask to, Annie in this situation. And I actually have just a clip of the question. I just, Oh God. Just, you know, um, Annie, you okay? You okay? You okay, Annie, you okay? so yeah that's my question to annie is this your thing now like (laughs) can i expect this every time (laughs) oh credit where it's due that was a suggestion from robert in utah okay (laughs) um and i'm so i'm so happy I love how you went with the Alien Ant Farm version as opposed to the Michael Jackson version. I did, yeah. <laughs> and uh, brief aside, um, Alien Ant Farm, I, I like a couple of their songs. Like, I like that version of Smooth Criminal. Yeah. And also, they have a song called Movies that I really like. Okay. And I was watching the music video to this and then the music video to Movies, and it's like, <laughs> if you watch them, it's like so, like, the way that they the band members dance in the in the videos is like the most, like, it it makes me like angry a little bit. <laughs> like it's the most like weird like weird like anxious energy, but it's also like the most whitest thing ever. <laughs> so yeah. But anyway. Okay. Um. So yeah. So <laughs> props to Robert in Utah for that. Um, <laughs> for context, I started making that right before Tiny came over, and like <laughs> I like it was right before. Uh, the time we agreed that he would be over here and I always leave the door unlocked for him and he just walks right in. 
And I uh, like I was like, oh shit, you know, it's he's gonna be here in a couple minutes. So I like I pulled out my headphones and I put the the headphones on and I made that like while <laughs> like he was sitting here waiting for me to acknowledge him. Um, right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so then Annie goes into the bedroom with where Evangeline is crying, and Rita comes in, and oh my god, it's just it's brutal. Uh, Annie grabs the scissors and she says, I thought you were good and then stabs her in the baby's room and takes Evangeline and leaves. Yeah. How did you feel about this moment? I, I, like I said, I think it was more heart wrenching and more tragic because Rita is just so innocent in all this. Like, Mm -hmm. like she's even seen, she hasn't been in denial of Annie's psychosis or her mental state. She's been cautious of it. I think she's been, Rita's been on guard with Annie for a long time. Yeah. And I don't know if she saw it going this far, but I think she had an idea and just to see it happen. And like, she's, she, like I said, she's been on guard and I feel like she's prevented stuff from happening in regards to Annie's craziness. Yeah. Um, but just to, yeah, like I said, just to, to see it happen is just so tragic. Yeah, so brutal and so just tragic. And so Annie Wilkes. Um, yeah. It's just, it's it's crazy. It's it's nuts. Um, so then we get a flashback to the present day. Joy finishes reading The Ra- the Ravening Angel, sees the dedication, and then we get back to Teen Annie. Um, so we get a kind of a repeat of Teen Annie going to the going to the river with Evangeline in the Ravening Angel box, and uh, she's gonna kill the baby. <laughs> um, she's gonna murder this baby, and she can't do it because Evangeline laughs laughs, mm-hmm. and like as twisted and as messed up and as just deeply disturbed as this whole thing is, that was just beautiful. It was. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And you can really sense, like, you can really tell, all, like, props to Lizzie Kaplan. Like, she has been doing an incredible job. And you can really tell, like, the change in her. Like, the hope that Joy has given her, or the, the that Evangeline has given her, mm-hmm. in that moment. It's just, it's it sells it so well, and I, I love it for that. I really do. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And so... Uh, we get kind of a cool last scene because Joy is in the present day, obviously, because she was a baby. Um, <laughs> she, uh, we get just uh, we get uh, we get shots of Rita, uh, Annie, and Joy. So in the flashback, Rita wakes up with the scissors in her and gasps and everything. Uh, that was a cool like surprise. And then adult Annie is at the bar. Um, and when Ace sits down next to her, mm-hmm. um, that's a cool like tease for the next episode. And then the final scene of the episode is that Joy calls Rita and is like, "Hey, do you know the Ravening Angel?" And then, like, it's just it's it's so it's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's like damn near a perfect episode. It is so I, good. My next bullet point on my notes, tiny, is this is a ten out of ten episode. <laughs> and then the the next bullet point after that is. Uh, Stephen King Origins, Annie Wilkes. <laughs> and I would love it if that was like a thing. If like yeah. they did like 
I don't like Castle Rock at this point is gone. Like I think it's safe to say we're never going to get more Castle Rock. Yeah. The showrunners are working on the Overlook with uh, HBO Max, which is going to be good and I think a, a good continuation. But I would love if there was like a show, a, a new anthology show that is just each season is the origin of a pivotal or a a, a big character in Stephen King's canon. Um, and it's just fleshing out backstory. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so before we move on, are you still good? Are we good for... Yes. For okay. So before we move on to that, I do have just a couple of Easter eggs and references. Um, I already mentioned Sarah Gadon playing Sadie in 112263. And, uh, and then uh, Annie's mom is kind of reminiscent of Carrie's mom. Um, but a couple other things is that Annie's laughing place, like the concept of the laughing place, I didn't pick up on this when I first saw this and everything um, because I hadn't read the book recently, but having just read the book now uh, again, uh, that's from, that's from misery. That's something that they take from misery. Um, okay. I found interesting um, in misery in the book, Annie has a place that she goes in the Hills when she's depressed and she calls it her laughing place. Um, and it's just, it's when like she leaves Paul Sheldon there all alone for a long time. Yeah. Uh, long intervals. Um, and then finally, uh, I thought this was really good in it and it recurs in the next episode, but, uh, Annie's father, um, I think it, it, Annie's father r- says that Annie is his number one fan. Um, and just like the, using the phrase number one fan is just, is very pointed and very, uh, cool. Totally. Obviously that's iconic. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's episode five. Um, the laughing place. How do you like, it is a near perfect episode. Do you think it beats any, like the, the episodes from season one? Yeah, honestly, nice. I like, uh, like the queen, Yeah, you know, like that's. That's some damn good storytelling and mm-hmm. writing and filmmaking. I mean, it's... I don't know if it beats it, but it's on par with it for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... I, I know I'm only, like, basically halfway through this season, but I think I like this season a little better than... Oh, nice. ...than season one. Um, Very cool. Yeah, just a little more on track, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or a little easier to track. I don't I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I... I just... I really love this episode, like damn near perfect very nice yeah Yeah, i'm right there with you um i would say that it is on par with the queen um Mm -hmm. just about on par with the queen just an incredible incredible episode and what makes it just what what gives it the edge potentially gives it the edge over the queen from season one is that backstory factor the context factor of taking a monster from stephen king's canon and humanizing her in such a way while also honoring her stance in the stephen king universe Mm -hmm. um just it is it is very impressive storytelling and uh very impressive acting and 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 uh everything every everything came together in a very very satisfying way absolutely yep so, uh, do you want to start to round it out with our final review tonight? Yes, sir. Of episode six, The Mother. Uh, this episode aired November 13th, 2019. Uh, shout out to Mike. Uh, that is his birthday. Um, mm. Who was just on the 112263 episode. <laughs> um, anyway, 
Plot summary for The Mother is Rita travels to Castle Rock in order to find answers while Ace continues to set his plan into motion and Joy struggles with a choice. Uh, writers for this episode were again Vince uh, Calandra and Daria Politan, uh, Politan. And director for this episode was Mark Tonderai. And uh, Tiny, how did you feel about the mother overall? Rita's arrival in Castle Rock, and uh, the kind of let's let's kind of go subplot by subplot. So Rita in Castle Rock, how did you feel about her arrival and the ensuing chaos that it brought? Uh, I just love everything coming together. Mm-hmm. Like I just think it's so cool, um, and it's it's great how you know episode four was all about pop and Nadia and, and, and all that stuff. And this episode after that is so Annie and joy heavy. Yeah. And, and just the way it's, it's going back and forth and it's, it's making all these characters, it's bringing everything together just Mm -hmm. beautifully. Uh, it's just great storytelling really. Uh, and I love the fact that Rita's like kind of obsessed and she's still trying to find her daughter. Yeah. 15, 16 years later, however old she is. Um, no, I love the trauma of it. Like, yeah. she, like she's in uh, Narcotics Anonymous and mm-hmm. like we get that backstory for her and like this is a thing that has destroyed her world yeah. for like 16 years. And it's just, it's really well done. And uh, yeah, it made me anxious for her to uh, confront Annie. Right, yeah. and it's so traumatic for her that she emphatically breaks her sobriety. Yeah, oh yeah. Later on, oh, which yeah. like that, I don't know. Like I, we got so attached to that character so quickly. Right. Um. And again, credit to Sarah Gadden, she's great. Mm-hmm. Um. But just I was I was like watching the episode and she cracked open those bots. She was just like boom, like nope, not stopping, yeah. not slowing oh, down. Yeah. I was just like, oh no, like I really yep. felt bad, and I just really wanted her to get some peace mm-hmm. and some comeuppance and like, at least she got to meet her, you know, she gets to meet her daughter yeah. and all that kind of oh, jumping yeah. ahead here. But, um, I just, the arc that her character takes is just amazing <laughs> in two, in two episodes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, let's jump ahead to the final scene with, with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, let's talk about her and Annie. Um, I love just the, the kind of, the energy of that confrontation, like when she says, like, it was the dedication, wasn't it? Like, you, you read the dedication, and that's what, that's what, uh, did it for you. It made you feel small or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, was that, was that her or Joy saying that? I think it was, I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember either. Oh, crap. I just watched it twice today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, I think it was, it was Rita, I think. I'll, I'll say that. So, um, yeah, the, the confrontation, she has her at gunpoint, she takes her out into the woods, and uh, it's just, it's dark. It's very dark. Yeah. Um, mostly because it's nighttime. <laughs> but it's, it's a very dark moment. And that that trio of, of can, that convergence of moment, of, of the moment, where she has the gun on Annie. Annie does, like, she fights dirty because she's Annie Wilkes. Um, mm-hmm. They scuffle, and Joy comes and drugs Rita. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the... Okay, so the gun drops and it fires and it hit, hits uh, Rita in the gut and like the episode ends with I don't I don't think it's said that she dies, but it's pretty. I mean it's it's messy, right? But my question to you, Tiny, as someone who knows guns and everything, mm-hmm. like 
How likely is it that the gun would just fire if it drops? That does not happen. I did not think so. Like, one gun from, like, the 1930s mm. had that flaw in it, and it happened, like, three times, mm. and, like, they got everybody got rid of that gun. Oh, really? Like, it's, it's, it's practically a myth. Okay. Basically. Like, yeah. like, another famous movie scene where it happens is True, True Lies. Where okay. Jamie Lee Curtis drops an Uzi and it goes down the stairs and it fires like oh, ten times yeah. and it kills a bunch of guys. <laughs> a total movie moment. It's ridiculous right. in and of itself, but that that just does not happen. Okay, like it's it's truly a myth, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I always think that when I when I see that in movies because I think my brother like told me that at some point. Yeah. Um, also, just a brief aside, like when they have. I don't know what, like, I've noticed this, I can't pinpoint a specific time, but I've noticed, like, when people hold revolvers, like, smaller revolvers, Mm -hmm. sometimes it looks like the trigger is, like, pressed up against the back Uh of the thing. Like, is that a thing? Yeah, so, like, revolvers have what's called a double-action trigger. Okay. And so, like, the... The little thing that they pull back, it's the the I think mm-hmm. it's the hammer. the hammer. I don't even know. On the back, it has to be. You can pull that back, and it makes it a much shorter trigger pull. So like oh. you barely have to pull the trigger. Oh. Okay. So like if sometimes you can see it where the hammer's not pulled back, they have to pull the trigger really far, and it's like a, it's like two stages. Okay. So it cocks the hammer while you're pulling the trigger. And it's 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 like a much heavier trigger pull, and it's harder to be accurate. So, mm. in order to make a more accurate accurate shot, they will pull back on the hammer. Okay. And like if you look in the old the old West movies, mm-hmm. you had to have the hammer. You had to cock the hammer manually. Mm-hmm. So you'll see like like in Tombstone, yeah. they'll use their other hand to like knock down the hammer right. and then pull the trigger and real quick. Like right. Rapid fire. Yeah. So that's like an advancement in firearm technology. But when it was originally invented, you had to. You could not pull the trigger before you pulled down the hammer. Okay. So it was, yeah. So that's, people do do that. And like, you can actually, it's crazy. You can have the gun cocked, so you can have the hammer pulled back, so you have a really short trigger pull, Mm -hmm. but you can actually decock the gun. Okay. So you you pull back on the hammer again, and it, it releases the trigger, and you actually pull the trigger and it de- it's kind of hard to explain, but it kind of mm-hmm. decocks the gun. You see it in movies sometimes. Okay. They'll like decock the, tr- the hammer. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of, people don't like to do it because you actually have to pull the trigger to do it. Gotcha. So that's a little little gun uh, engineering there. But okay. Yeah. Follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Now, do you aim with your hand? <laughs> and if so... Does the does the person who aims with their hand have, have they forgotten the face of their father? Yes, they have. Okay, that is a fact. I was going to go through the rest, but we <laughs> need to finish up. We do. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jesus, it's eleven o'clock. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So um, that whole thing was is cool. Um, <laughs> we get some more stuff with Ace. Um, as the plot summary says, Ace continues to set his plan in motion. Um, we get some more backstory. Um, he like they're reanimating dead people from the town and it's basically reviving like these crazy, you know, cultist people. Satanists. Satanists. Yeah. Satanists. Right. From 400 years ago. And we get the name Amity. I can't remember what the name was. It was Amity, um, Amity something. Yeah. And like, that's like the big thing. Like, like Ace is like, we're going to, we found a vessel for you. Um, her name's Annie. So Mm -hmm. how'd you feel about this development? Like, did it, 
increase your interest in the subplot because we haven't had much of this right in the recent episodes or it's been a little disjointed you know here and there not not as a criticism but it's just you know they're still putting it together yeah like you Um, said everything is kind of starting to come together right right uh like when he said that (laughs) when he's sort of like talking to the coffin he's like her name's annie i Mm -hmm. kind of did a little kind of thing like that um like that totally i was like i can't wait to see that Mm -hmm. um i was really yeah i was i was all on board for that Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so I watched the majority of this season when it aired. I stopped after watching this next episode. Um, and I got to say, we cannot let it be a month before we record again because I can't wait to talk to you about specifically the next episode because I haven't seen anything past that. Okay. The next episode has some really cool stuff in it. Sweet. Um, so yeah, but... To kind of round out this somewhat brief review for the mother, um, Joy has this choice. She's in a, uh, um, she's in, in the in in a facility from like the Department of you know Child and Social Services or something like right. that. Um, and so she just has to choose between the two mothers essentially. Um, How do you feel about Joy's arc in this episode? Um. Yeah, she's really uh she's in a pretty tough spot and mm. you know, we talked we already talked about the the culminating scene, the the final scene. Um I was like I was a little disappointed or not disappointed like in her, okay. like not in the situation. Like I thought it was gotcha. dramatic as hell, super tense, awesome, well done and on on all levels I loved it. But I was just like, "Oh man, that's the choice she made." Like I was really if she only knew all Oh, she had all the right. details and knew everything. Yeah. Um, if she was a constant reader, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it it just makes you wonder if she would have chosen differently. Yeah. If she knew everything, you know. Um. But at the same time, I sort of empathized with her mm-hmm. decision. You know, like she she sees Annie as her mother, right? And yeah. so I can't I can't really blame her. Yeah, me neither. And I liked that confrontation between them. Like she doesn't pull any punches. Like right. She talks about like how uh you know like I love how she throws back the uh he's a good old guy yeah um, about the father it was it was really good yep um yeah so i i think that about does it for the mother i think um is there anything that you can remember that you want to touch on well yeah i think um just a little quick theory i think it's Mm -hmm. gonna it would be i think it'd be cool if the Satanists got a hold of Rita's body and reanimated somebody in her body. Ooh, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cool. I don't know if it's going to be Amity or whatever, but yeah. uh, that'd be cool. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, sweet. Yeah. Also, uh, we need to mention that Chance uh, tells Joy, like, oh, hey, let's go to North Carolina. So that's something. Right. right. Um, and then there's the one person they try to reanimate and it doesn't work and they yes, say we didn't talk about that right yeah. because Thank of the medication she's on and I, I think that's pretty clear foreshadowing that you know annie is on quite a bit of psychosomatic yes. medication oh, so i'm wondering if they try to reanimate the amity whoever that is in mm-hmm. annie and it doesn't take and so i think it'd be cool if amity showed up in the uh in rita that oh like, i didn't think that's, about i don't that. know that's kind of where my mind went i was I like love that yeah Oh man, that's I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so that's the mother, um, episode six, and yeah, we're gonna be back. Oh, let's before I close out the episode, um, a couple of references and Easter eggs in this in this episode. Um, I don't 
think I, I didn't notice this in the episode or anything, but I looked on IMDb in the uh, um, trivia section for this episode, and I can't confirm this, but uh, Chance, her name is a nickname that comes from her last name of LaChance. This is a reference to Gordy LaChance from Stand By Me or Stephen King's The Body. Oh. Um, so that's interesting. Okay. And then the other thing is that this is kind of a loose one, but uh, Steve Bannerman comes to Annie's cabin um, and knocks on the door. He says he's from the Department of Child Services or whatever. Um, and I found this interesting because his name is Steve Bannerman. And in The Dead Zone and Cujo, um, the sheriff of Castle Rock is Sheriff uh, George Bannerman. So I maybe they didn't have the rights for George Bar- Bannerman, but they just wanted to throw in hmm. Bannerman in there. So that was okay. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so that'll about do it for this episode of, of Tower Junkies. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Next up on the feed, uh, sooner rather than later, I really hope, um, <laughs> we're going to be reviewing episodes seven and eight. We're only doing two episodes next week or next time. Uh, the Word and Dirty. Uh, very excited um, because everything is really ramping up and I think that these next two episodes are going to be very pivotal in the season arc and everything. Um, yeah. Tiny, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, just that I, I'm really into the show now. Nice. Uh, and nice. I'm very enthusiastic about it and excited to watch the next two episodes. Very nice. Me too. Me too. And uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, that'll do it. So long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I think I also I started another podcast too, the <clears throat> Secular Perspective, and that yes. I think I, I was editing that and doing that by myself. That's so right. I think that may have been part of a catalyst for his, for why you took over all as well. <laughs> that sounds right. And the reason you started the Secular Perspective <laughs> was because I think like the first or second like Christmas after we started podcasting, I. I gave you a gift of a mixer. Yeah. Um, and like, I think it was specifically because you had talked about like, Oh, you know, that would be something I could do. And I was basically like forcing you to like, you do it, do it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You pushed me pretty hard into yeah, it. But... Well, it's the nature of our friendship. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when I had the time for it, I enjoyed that podcast and every once in a while, an idea will pop into my head for that podcast. Yeah. Um, but I, I love what Chad's done with it. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. 
For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our TeePublic store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!